This is Amber. And this is Shannon. And you're listening to Twin Beaks, the Chicken Fanatics podcast. It's fucking great. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to the Twin, Twin Beaks. Beaks Chicken Podcast. <laughs> this is episode 29 of the podcast, and I'm really excited to have you all here today. It's a great day here in paradise and overcast, so it's sort of a nice stay inside and be warm day, and it's really great. We're sitting here looking through the uh, French doors at our hens who want to come in and join us for the show. Uh, <laughs> They're eating persimmons right outside the door and digging up our garden beds for us. And since we've already started going into it, why don't we just go into our flock update and yes, talk let's. about the birds? I, I want to talk about Sergeant Pecker. Okay. Sergeant Pecker is our blue Andalusian hen. Um, and I maybe at this point I'm assuming her gender, but because <laughs> she seems to think that she's a rooster now, uh-huh. she has definitely taken on the role. Yeah, she does the rooster wing flapping, like clapping her wings in the back, and she's even has little mini spurs. And she'll do things like uh, position herself in the middle of the clearing on guard, like roosters do, mm-hmm. and look around while the rest of them eat. She's also sort of given up competing for food with the other hens. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the big roly-poly one grabs one something. The the cochin, the partridge cochin. cochin. And the Andalusian could easily outrun, maneuver, and steal from that bird. And she doesn't. Yeah. And she's also the most aggressive, most curious, sleeps on the top Mm -hmm. above everybody else. yeah, so that's been kind of interesting to watch. Uh, a couple of days ago, or maybe, no, that was just yesterday, uh, I heard one of the birds freaking out, and I looked out the window, and sure enough, it was her just standing there in the middle of the field squawking like she a rooster. The, the craziest noise, too. It, it was, it was noise, an alarm call. That's why I looked. It was, but it was an alarm call that I hadn't heard her make before. Well, yeah, that's I've heard that. You have heard that I've heard that one. call, not from her, but from my chickens See, out on the mountain it when must like be, a hawk goes over or something. Yeah, they usually make a different noise when um, a hawk goes over, in my experience before. Mm-hmm. It made me wonder if... Um, it was maybe a sound for a different kind of predator because I hadn't heard it before. And, and the only difference maybe. is they're new to this region. So maybe they have different alarm calls. But and at any anyway, rate, I've come to recognize that call as, as, hawk, huh? as one of those. We're not just making chicken noises yeah, anymore. It, it was definitely that for sure. So danger. I um, started to look outside and then I heard the scrub jays go off, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the local bush corvid let's call it <laughs> uh, pretty little blue birds or medium size i mm-hmm. guess and from years and years of experience living in california i've learned that that noise means i'm standing over a predator and screaming about it mm-hmm. i've i've learned to speak some scrub jay i guess <laughs> and uh from spending so much time in the scrub but <laughs> 
So, you know, once I heard that, I was like, oh, hold on. And then I ran outside and went into full alert mode, mm -hmm. looking for whatever it was running around out there. And then that was when the quail went off at yeah. the end of our yard. And all of this is a tiny little yard. So, I, well. Like half an acre, right? Not by town standards. You could but see it all. Let's my, just say that. By, by my living in the country standards, it's a tiny yard. <laughs> you know, so I thought, wow, if the quail just went off over in the corner of the yard, then something is definitely here. Yeah. So I ran over there. Never did find out what it was, but definitely there was something running around out there. And it started with our blue Andalusian hen who has appointed herself rooster, um, letting me know. Yeah, that was pretty cool to watch her. So going back, I guess to um, our previous episodes where we talked about how to predator proof um, and deal with predators. And I mentioned, you know, having your birds in relative proximity to your house helps. This is an illustration of how, you know, if you learn to speak chicken and you learn that not all clucking is the same, it's like, oh, that's the serious noise. Yeah, yeah. And as another rabbit trail, um, I learned this with my dog too. And I think a lot of people are more familiar with the phenomenon in dogs. So maybe bringing this up, it sort of further illustrates it. You mm -hmm. know, People that have dogs know that uh, there's the I'm barking because I'm a dog and I bark kind of bark and the things are about to get real yeah, to, to totally. use the phrase without swearing um, <laughs> type of bark, you know? Yeah. And it used to be when I lived out on the ranch that, you know, my dog would be outside barking. She's a Doberman. Dobermans, their job is to protect their people. So they like do a patrol mm -hmm. twice a day in the morning and in the evening and just kind of run around and bark the perimeter of their turf. Whoa, you cool. Know? Yeah, that's it's kind of an instinctual thing in them. But I, I always trained, you know. When you get a Doberman, you're supposed to walk them the perimeter of your property. Very and I think that's probably true for any dog and huh. say, okay, here's your yard. This yeah. is our area here, you know? So she'd go out and do that every night. Bark, 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 bark. But then sometimes it was this different kind of barking. It was a little bit more high strung sounding, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, a little kind of higher pitch almost. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that made me, that was the one that always got me up out of the chair and outside because it meant there was something in the yard. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That illustrates it pretty well. It, it's true. They make, they have a language and you can definitely uh, learn to pinpoint what it is they're talking about. And I've, I have read before that they, they have multiple sounds that are specific and also specific to a type of predator. Um, like whether it's overhead, whether it's, you know, a ground predator, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Sure. Well, corvids definitely can do that. Oh, sure. They're very, so, very clever. Chickens. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. And let's see. What else is new with them? They've learned to explore the top level. We've got the cool, uh, the cool kids. They leveled up. Yeah. They leveled up in the chicken coop. They leveled coop. up. <laughs> okay. And the cool kids are upstairs and the nerds are downstairs. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. So, yeah. They're in that's, their separate, and that's always been the case. There's always been the three more alpha hen club, uh -huh. and they hang out with each other. And then the the um, the 
the more subservient docile hens are usually they they hang out together um now there's only the two of them um since we lost abigail but um, there was three of them before do you think that correlates to agility mm, let's see let me think about this for a second the top tier ones are the more agile i think that that definitely is somewhat true because um let's see it's arugula sergeant pecker and uh perfect posture that are up on the top and they're all the um mediterranean breeds that are a little more slim with long legs and stuff and the ones on the bottom are uh they are more heavy heavyweight breeds so it could have something to do with that hmm. so yeah i was just thinking it might yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see if those um more slim Mediterranean breeds tend to be the alpha hens in flocks generally. More dominant hens. Yeah, dominant <laughs> hens. <laughs> we just watched this video about uh, the idea that alpha males and females in wolf packs is this totally misguided concept that was based on not studying them correctly in the 70s and yeah so that's what that little joke was yeah about. the idea was that the the domestic ones or ones in in zoos they just they display that sort of behavior but in the wild they don't so anyway anyhow so yeah speaking of the upper levels yeah i went down there and opened up those doors the upper room and it looked like uh yeah the penthouse um <laughs> it looked like a chicken exploded in there <laughs> Yeah, they're all molting right now. They look really ridiculous. And they look horrible. It's yeah, and out hops this bird <laughs> that that looks like a bomb went off on her. Apocalypse just, survivor. To be honest, she looks like chickens I've seen that have gotten grabbed by predators, roughed up really hard, and then somehow escaped escaped you know just walking around with all the feathers missing and yeah we have this one that has this it's a um, golden camping mm -hmm. and it has this beautiful posture with this really upright kind of fan tail that's really distinctive and it's molting right now so it has like this really sparse like skanky looking decrepit feather mane and then <laughs> it has no tail now so it looks Nappy like chickens. this strange, rumpless, disheveled, haggard. It's kind of come to look sort of like chicken. a kiwi. A kiwi. You know the profile of a like it from totally the shoe polish. Looks like a kiwi. <laughs> yeah. It's so undignified. Very undignified. She, she usually looks so put together you know like a little princess or something just next like, year we should anticipate this and she have looks so some sort of dignified outfit for them to wear yes you know? a molting dress a molting dress instead of a morning dress <laughs> victorian molting dress victorian chicken molting dress yes on ebay $5, don't go around bald don't be the disgrace of the town there's somebody's idea you know great business idea so yeah <laughs> Make make a Victorian chicken molting dress, someone. Please, please. Amber will probably buy it. I'll cry tears of joy. She'll cry tears of joy. What else could you want? Yeah. <laughs> and here comes the Andalusian back at the window to check us out. Yeah. I'm going to have to post a picture now. of this. Me and the Andalusian have been coming, or Sergeant Pecker, we've been becoming better friends lately. For some reason, she's shown a lot of interest in me and she likes to come up and check in on me and peck at my coattails and say hi. 
this is a you new know, development. It's, it's kind of funny because it's almost like she had a gender crisis. Uh-huh. You know, she um, used to be kind of mean and hard to deal yeah, with. Yeah, she, she was always my least and favorite chicken. And she also wasn't very good at being a rooster either. And then suddenly it's like she's gotten really strong at that. And now she's not mean anymore. Yeah, it's almost it's cool. like okay, now I've I've got my yeah. identity and I'm cool. She's the boss. She knows it. Now we can be friends. Yeah, that's I want to cool. study that more. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the the adaptation phenomenon of hen only flocks and how they make roosters, because yeah. you know Survivor Chicken, the one that I had up on the the one that survived the. Uh, wildlife massacre uh -huh. that happened in my uh -huh. flock once um there was a i think i've told this story on the show but it's been a long time you know um i had a lot of chickens mm -hmm. and uh the wildlife got in i had to leave for a few days and i secured it up the best i could and mm -hmm. uh left somebody there in charge of them but it's not like the guy was out sleeping in there you know yeah and anyway they all got killed except for one of them and uh, I gave it to uh, my daughter's mom, and that chicken actually turned into a rooster, wow. like physically That's so cool. changed and started crowing wow. and did the whole thing. How old was it when this happened? Many years. It was many years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was not stranger. like a new bird or anything. Yeah. So it had already yeah. gone through its chicken puberty or whatever oh, you call definitely. it. Oh, definitely. Wow, Oh, cool. it was an egg-laying hen. And it Absolutely. turned into a rooster, stopped yep. laying eggs. Yep. Well, ah. I, I'm not sure. Oh, you know what? Because it's not my bird anymore, but I do know that it turned into a rooster, and we have talked about how that happens on the yeah. show. But I just think it's a fascinating thing that I want to study more. And I do remember reading that part. one of the reasons or theories why they believe roost or hens do change into roosters is damage to the ovaries sometimes will cause them to become roosters. I, I that's very interesting. I don't think that explanation tells the whole story. No, no, no. That's, I don't either. I suspect there's something else I to it. I think there's a lot of different situations in which Because that, that implies happens. that that bird was the only one that survived, sustained an injury to the ovary, survived it, mm -hmm. and then also happened to turn into a rooster in response to that yeah. because not every hen that gets damaged in the ovary presumably this happens to no i don't think so it explains all cases such, of it it just seems highly improbable yeah it's just one one thing that's been discussed oh my gosh here's another one looking in they're so distracting and um, yeah they are <laughs> we haven't done this show we're doing the show in the daytime yeah. which is very unusual for us so today we're being distracted by our, our little chicken. girls who keep coming up Hello, and staring Carrie. through the window at us. Let us in. Let oh, us I in. I love you. They, by the way, one thing I did want to mention on the show really fast is, wow, our chickens really like persimmons. They love persimmons. We have a persimmon tree at our house. Specifically a Fuju persimmon. They cannot they wait for it. the things to fall down out of the tree. Yeah, they love it. In fact, I think when the scrub jays go up in there and peck at them, the chickens have learned that those things fall out of the trees. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I've noticed that when the scrub jays go into the persimmon tree, the chickens go in there under it. Yeah. And, and vice versa, the scrub jays are um, learning to follow around the chickens in the yard to go to the areas that they've dug up and sort of poke around and pick up the scraps as well. 
and that, they kind of work together. Well, I think they've also figured out that chickens equal human food uh-huh. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Very clever. Odds are the chickens are eating somewhere where the people left something. Probably. <laughs> I think there's some of that. Well, okay. I think we've kind of gone on about the flock, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, certainly. All good news. Yes, yes. So now we can move on to the cabinet of chicken curiosities uh, yes. let us open the cabinet yes which is very full this week so uh-huh. let's see uh first of all just to mention it seems more and more popular that people are taking their chickens out on unusual outings and including them in events and activities that we've never seen before and finding that they enjoy it like the man who brought his chicken on his daily strolls and in an actual stroller with him um there's a woman in Isla Morada, Florida, named Carly Venezia, and she has become quite quite um, notable for bringing her one-year-old hen Loretta paddleboarding with her in the Florida Keys. And oh, wow. apparently when she's interviewed, she claims that the chicken finds it relaxing. It's very mm-hmm. curious. It enjoys going out on mm-hmm. the water with her and enjoys most water-related activities. They take it on their sailing boat for sunset you know, excursions and and the chickens really chill about it and loves it. Yeah. So we're yeah. seeing um a lot more chickens being treated the same way, you know, dogs are treated coming out, out for the, the family outings and stuff. So chickens coming out in the world. That's pretty cool. Paddle boarding, huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. We've got another article here about a company in the Midwest and they are cutting their heating bill in half by using alternative heating methods which involve basically capturing the air that usually gets forced out when you're sucking air in to be warmed and then recycling it back into the the enclosure so how this works is they basically capture the hot air warm air that's been inside the chicken coop that normally gets pushed back into the outside environment they're taking it and routing it through the vent where the cold air from the inside is being forced in. So that's warming it as it comes in instead of having to use the propane to heat the the freezing cold air from outside just completely. So they're saving quite a lot of money doing this. Um, this is a large poultry operation, but they spend about $60,000 annually on their heating costs. So that's um, $30,000 in savings and they say that this technique can raise their temperature as much as 40 degrees so that's pretty substantial um they say that um, poultry houses that are at least 18,000 square feet or larger lose 80 percent of their heat from cold air coming in and displacing um, the hot air so this is a very very efficient way to heat your poultry house and and it also reduces carbon uh, tremendously so it's very good for the environment as well so good for them so really awesome new technology just to be clear the air going out is kept physically separate from the cold air coming in it's not Uh, like it's they just mix it in together thanks for clarifying that just so people like, well, how come the cold air coming in doesn't get all the nasty stuff from mm-hmm. the hot air if you're pumping the hot into the cold? Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, so the neat thing 
about a thermal exchange system like this is that the colder it gets outside, the more effective it becomes. Ah. Right? Because it's easier to heat um, to, to be dramatic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easier to heat air that is 20 degrees below Fahrenheit, uh, 10 degrees, mm -hmm. than it is to heat air that's 90 degrees. Oh, that's really, really? I didn't well, know that. Well, doesn't that make sense, right? You know, uh, because, well, relative to the air that you're pumping out, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're pumping out consistently air that is 100 degrees, just yeah. to make up numbers, and the air coming in is 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not going to be very easy to raise that temperature up to 50. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the air coming in is negative 10, mm -hmm. getting it up to zero with 100 degree air is much easier. Hmm. See how that makes sense? Because the contrast is so great. So, um, yeah, so that's a neat thing about thermal exchange systems is that yeah. they work like that. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that's great. Anything that'll save a lot of propane. And uh, there's also, uh, what was it? I wish I could remember the video, but the guy was saying something about how the system also, uh, the way it was designed, instead of all of the air coming from one place, it mm -hmm. came, or... Uh, into the building from one place it came in from many different ports yeah he had a um what is that stuff it's like usually metal and it looks like an accordion ducting yes ducting <laughs> thank you uh -huh. yeah they they use that and just kind of route it through sure, the whole sure. building so that it gets distributed and this was just something that i found interesting because what he was saying is that because the heating was more dispersed it saved money mm -hmm. and also uh prevented hot and cold spots in yeah. the coop which led the population to be more spread out yeah and uh reduced fighting yeah and remember he said they were generally more healthy too just maybe more available space that's habitable for them remember what avia was saying uh when we had avia on the uh -huh. show about uh the free-range chickens and how mm -hmm. you give them all this space, but they end up sort of mosh pit crushing together in yeah. the spots that are like, you know, where the feeder is, yeah, yeah. for instance, um, because that's how chicken behavior makes them want to act. Uh -huh. Over there is more desirable. I want to be as close to yeah, that as I can yeah. get. So this uh, sort of solves that problem, you know, instead of all the heat coming from one side of the building and all the chickens wanting to be wherever they're going to want to be together it's spread out so they'll spread out and fight uh -huh, us. Uh -huh. so i thought that was pretty neat yeah i think that's really cool too yeah anything that reduces our fighting and makes oh, them what happy a, what a clever uh you know there was a video on youtube about this story where the guy that designed it was basically said so my friend was talking about his chicken industry <laughs> and how much his heating bill was and uh -huh. i said oh my gosh i had I just thought that was totally crazy. So I'm paraphrasing folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I designed this system for him. And I, wow, what a nice thing for a friend to do. I Here's $30,000 a year a off year? your business, friend. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Buy that guy a dinner. Great friend. Right? Yeah. Well, do we have any other 
items. Yeah, I have cabinet. I have some interesting information about the um Dao tribes people from Vietnam and they have a chicken bone divination that they mm. have made part of their daily culture looking for advice from ancestors and guidance in their lives for generations and they um, pass it down from generation to generation in their family mm -hmm. and according to their beliefs this um, tradition was started by a folk tale that involved a chicken they called the skylight chicken that came down from the, the heavens. Skylight chicken? Mm -hmm. They called it the skylight Is that chicken. Like ceiling cat? <laughs> <laughs> no. Great skylight I chicken. I think it's much more romantic, like skylight, because it had a oh. comb that lit up like it glowed. It had a oh, glowing comb, assuming it was a, a rooster that um, was a power symbol. You know, they lived amongst the uh, jungle fowls that were very fast, lightning fast oh, and aggressive and, and cunning. So, right, right. yeah, so they distributed power in this folktale amongst the different tribes people by who got what part of the chicken. And the head of the chicken, you get to be the, the king pretty much in this tale. But uh -huh. they said some point the legs were forbidden because those were used specifically for divination so these people hmm. the, the legs are sacred and they use it for um, contacting ancestors mm -hmm. and um, they do some divination where they they different parts of the chicken represent different forms of power or authority or uh, situations in life and the characteristics of the organs or bones and they're all very specific i could go on a long time about it but they they look at them and determine what they mean they have many manuscripts and about 160 different diagrams written down that are passed down um, to help someone determine what what this means when they find find things on these um, characteristics on the chicken organs or bones. Okay, hold on, wait, wait. Okay. So there's 160 documents on this? Diagrams. Diagrams. There's a manuscript, and traditional manuscript. Is this a secret thing, or can you? Um, there's there's di pictures of the diagrams online. They're all in Vietnamese and very archaic looking language that I don't even know if Vietnamese people would be able to read. It's very old looking. And um, wow. yeah, so they have 160 different diagrams written down well, for- I wanna learn more about that. Yeah, it's really <laughs> interesting. And the, the chicken that they use has to be um, one that is specifically sacred to an area that's relevant to the divination. They believe that certain physical areas in the forest or certain landscapes have um, deities that protect the area and are, and are um, the chicken has to be one that's roaming, living in the area that's pertinent to, to, I guess, the spirit of the area that would reside over the, the quarry that they have and the person uh, performing the ritual also has to be um, 
a person who is going through some sort of life transition. They have to be, you know, building a new house, getting married, maybe having a child or preparing for a journey, some sort of change. So typically that would be the type of person you would have to go find to look for and uh, do your divination for you. Um, they often examine the holes in the thigh bones for marriage. Um, they examine the liver for journeys and requesting answers from ancestors. They use the egg yolks to locate a new home site or build a new community or choose a burial site. And the rite is performed by dipping the fried chicken bones in water and then sticking sharp bamboo skewers into them. And this hmm. is repeated five times. Nowadays, they... Um, you know, not everyone carries on these traditions in their families. This used to be part of their daily life and, you know, spiritual guidance on a regular daily practice. But now they go to professionals in the community that perform these divinations, and they're actually called chicken masters. Oh, yeah. Great. So you can go chicken see masters, the, huh? the chicken masters. So, yeah, that is very interesting. There's... um. You know, a lot more information about this custom that you can look into. So pretty fascinating stuff there. And um, I got one more thing. Another person, it's very, very sad. A, a boy has died of salmonella poisoning. It's it's very sad thing. It's happened. Um, and there's been a lot of increase in salmonella poisonings that are they can trace back to handling chickens. So just a reminder to be careful. Treat your chickens maybe the same way that you would if you were handling raw meat in the kitchen or something. You know, if you're going to pet them and and snuggle with them, fine, but maybe wash your hands. You know, you wouldn't kiss a piece of uh, raw chicken or, or a raw egg in your kitchen, so maybe you might not want to kiss your chickens in so much. But the thing, the thing is, is as much as um, all these news sites are getting really excited and and super, you know, cautionary about the salmonella poisonings, uh, typically it seems like one to five people pass away from salmonella poisoning that can be linked to chickens, and maybe about thirty people in general from salmonella poisonings a year, and. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy because in a year, um, there's, you know, usually 31 dog-related deaths that dogs dogs kill humans. Um, 4,500 people a year get killed crossing the street in a crosswalk with the right-of-way. And, uh, you know, general foodborne illness kills about 5,000 people a year. So these numbers are really, really tiny and as much... Um, you know, excitement there is about people getting salmonella from the chickens. It is pretty darn rare. You're more likely to die crossing the street with the walk sign on than you are from handling your backyard chickens. Or at least that's what the, you know. Uh, so be be careful. Be very, very careful out there with your chickens. But, uh, wow. you know, I think if you take the right precautions, you could test your soil for salmonella. You could wash your hands, maybe not kiss them and stuff. But don't be afraid of your chickens. I don't think that they're little disease factories. So. Oh, my gosh. I'm just over here just chewing on my lips. My gosh. Oh, what's going on uh, okay. over there? So Do share. First of all, 
how many of those people that got salmonella supposedly from their chickens consume dairy products or eggs, you know, that they they buy uh, meat from the store? Mm, probably a lot, I'd wager. Probably all of them. Yeah. Most people have chickens so that they can have eggs, which means that they're probably not vegan. Mm -hmm. So they're probably buying meat. They're probably not slaughtering their chickens. So how do we know that um, that these people got salmonella from their chickens? What's to say that people aren't just saying, "Oh, look, they got salmonella," and "Oh, look, they have chickens." See, see, chickens Mm -hmm. cause salmonella. Yeah, yeah. It's just totally correlative. Totally correlative. And Mm -hmm. just to really get on my soapbox folks every time you see a headline that has or a news article that has the word linked mm-hmm. chickens linked to salmonella you should read that as we can't prove causality mm-hmm. but we want to connect these two things in your mind so the strongest word that we can use is linked. Yeah, yeah. And the important part I want to emphasize in that is the we can't prove. It is interesting because, um, you know, salmonella cases and poisonings are going up. And I think it's more likely to say that our farming practices are um, really not that fantastic. And that alone could cause well, look- the amounts of poisonings to go up. One thing that we didn't throw in the, you know, I try, part of why I decided to do this show is because I wanted to do something in my life that didn't have anything to do with politics, the economy, war, (laughs) uh, the president. Something lighthearted, huh? (laughs) Well, not even necessarily lighthearted, but Mm -hmm. just doesn't have to do with that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... One thing we aren't talking about this week is the pile of news articles I saw that are uh, the the poultry industry wants to repeal the uh, there's limita- legal limitations on how fast you can process poultry mm-hmm. in these plants to keep people from base to basically make sure things are safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So the poultry industry is like, aha, Donald Trump's in office. Let's see if we can roll all that stuff back. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of safety regulations and stuff that they're trying to roll back right now. And it's just, gee, I, I wonder why there's more salmonella. We just started shipping processed chicken back from China too, that we right. send there and then have them process it and right. send it back here. That's been in the last Let's not look at that. Let's look at backyard chickens. Uh huh. And oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. It's Which so... are uh, maybe a little bit of a competition. Do you think there's enough backyard chickens to be a, a source of competition to big farms? Well, here's the thing um, that just entirely depends on what people want. Mm. That's true. That's true. Remember yeah. uh, when we went to Supply Guatemala? Mm hmm. Everybody that it seemed worth bothering, yeah. How having chickens was like ubiquitous there. Yeah, like you'd have you almost a refrigerator dream of buying eggs, or yeah, you know. Well, people did. There were egg market yeah salespeople there, but 
you know, having chickens was just what one in three people households that we I, saw. Practically everyone had chickens. One in two. Yeah. Yeah. So what if that happens here? <laughs> you yeah. know, who's that going to hurt? Yeah. And can people, you know, even if people just, if if fifty percent of egg consuming Americans get backyard chickens and just augment their consumption, that's a huge hit. Yeah, like by feeding their chickens to their an industry that even, is and... already having, you know, mm -hmm. its margin error issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, do you think they're worried about it? You bet. You think and that they'd gonna... like to? Oh, go ahead. Punch some holes in the backyard chicken movement. Probably. Probably. I imagine yeah. they're a little nervous too because um, a large proportion of the factories have experienced so much pressure that they've agreed to go cage free in the next 10 years, which is going to be mm. at an enormous expense and really cut into their profits. So I think they're realizing they can't, you know, there's so much social pressure to do that, but how do they do it and not lose money? And how do they guarantee that they're going to have a client base large enough to to keep them afloat when they make these change these very expensive changes yeah yeah that's interesting hmm. yeah it makes me think you should look at these bigger cities the city council meetings where they're having these endless wars with how many backyard chickens and start looking to see if any and if there's any lobbyists showing up to mm -hmm. that stuff. sponsoring certain concepts pressuring yeah people yeah, I, I funding wonder, certain things. That's where I'd look to see to what extent the industry is interested in squashing the backyard chicken movement. Huh. You know, are they the ones pushing that in local? You know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, mm, very interesting. And that's that's it for my cabinets today. It was a very large, overstuffed cabinet, but I hope you well, all enjoyed it. <laughs> I think. It's interesting to just sort of cover what's going on in the world yeah, of chickenry. Yeah, I do too. I do too. <laughs> the yeah. chicken nation. Even as there happens to be a lot of it. So, <laughs> anyhow. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to point out that that was correlative. Yeah. Um, yeah. Statistically, uh, apart from it being, you know, like uh, you're more likely to be killed by your furniture. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's seriously, look up how many people get killed by their furniture every year. It's kind of crazy. Wow. But uh, <laughs> it's more than terrorism. Just saying. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. Now I'm going to look that up. Yeah. But yes, we don't talk about that stuff here. So um, <laughs> yes, we've done. Let's just close the cabinet. Then. All right. I won't belabor that point anymore. And, uh <laughs> Onward. Onward. Yes, to... to the glorious horizon of all things chicken. And what are we finding on our horizon there? We are talking about alternatives to heating your coop this yeah. episode since it's getting to be cold. Alternatives to heating the coop. Yeah, well, not, not specifically alternatives to heating the coop, but alternatives to heating it with electricity. Mm, yes, electricity. Oh is a uh, scary scary thing in chicken coops for uh it's causing a lot of fires yep. yeah yep. so we wanted to put some information out there for people who might be interested in and in, uh, looking for different ways to heat the coop and also for those of you that live in extremely cold climates it might be a good way to just bulk up and add to 
the amount of heat you're able to produce because a heater can only do so much, you know, right. and you might want to have other just sources of heat to really combine. So, yeah, I guess there's a couple of ways that I think that you could start talking about this. And the first is, do you want to talk about the question of should we heat at all? And the second is, or do we want to take it from the perspective of, I, I see, uh, let's just call it winterizing, as in, in two categories, either uh, setting up your system or adapting your system. Yeah. In other words, for the average person that's listening to me, either they haven't built a coop yet or um, they already have. And talking about how to build the coop is pointless. Mm -hmm. It's a question of, okay, what can I do to what I have? Yeah. So do we want to talk about the question of heating at all first? or? Well, I think just briefly, um, it might be more important in general for your, if it's not extremely cold where you are, mm -hmm. for your chickens to be dry rather than warm. Well, um, certainly, yes. Because they, they do generate their own heat, and we've talked about this before. They're pretty good at that. And if you think about your birds in your yard out in the snow that don't migrate, the chickens are just, just like them. They're very good at regulating their temperature with um, their feathers. So yeah, um, a lot of times I think heating is, is unnecessary as long okay. as they're out of the wind and the, and the moisture. Yeah, so let's talk about whether or not to heat your okay. birds. Um so there's two schools of thought. Heat mm -hmm. your birds, don't heat your birds. Uh, don't heat your birds is uh, if you if you heat your birds, then they're going to get used to staying. They're going to want to stay in their coop all winter and mm -hmm. not go outside because it's warm inside. And they haven't acclimated, so you have to make sure that heat's on all the time or they can go right. into shock. Right. They can also go into shock kind of like plants. So... Another concern is that if you do heat your birds and then suddenly the power goes out, the heater stops working in the middle of the night or anything happens, suddenly the, your birds are in for a dramatic temperature change mm -hmm. that could hurt them. Yeah. So they say, you know, it's better to let them acclimate and go through their natural process and that as long as their coop isn't too moist, they're effective at fluffing up and keeping, uh, you know, dry, warm air next to their bodies and surviving almost down, you know, down to zero temp mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I didn't see anybody that said, uh, don't even heat your birds below zero. You know, yeah, I think at a certain point you should probably take precautions for them. Right. Yeah. Right. When so even the don't cold. heat advocates have a, a a floor. Right, where they'll bring them indoors or do something to to heat the coop mm -hmm. on a temporary basis, which could be as simple as just filling some, you know, five gallon buckets full of hot water to stick in there overnight, adding more bedding, uh, things like that. Stuff you could do in a pinch. I think that if you live in one of those climates, though, it's you've probably got a plan for that. I, right. I would imagine. I was just talking about like cold snaps, you know, stuff yeah. that might happen out of the ordinary. That's where you're true. Not prepared. The the, the anti-heating arguer that I was listening to also said that they might use a heater 
if there's a cold snap just mm-hmm. to prevent the shock. Yeah. And then in that case, their goal is to basically keep the bird the, the temperature above freezing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the don't heat argument says just, you know, let them do their thing and and protect fine. them in an extreme and protect them in extremes situation. right and of course you'll you'll lose um as the winter goes through you'll lose they'll stop laying and mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. have the natural molt cycle and all of that uh the the heating argument says basically you know stress kills mm-hmm. uh that if you don't heat keep the coop at least above freezing the eggs will freeze and crack and that it makes them useless basically exposes them to bacteria which can lead to salmonella um and you know infection other problems stuff like that so you you want to do that to keep the eggs from freezing Mm -hmm. uh what are the other arguments that basically yeah you can prolong their egg laying Mm -hmm. that if you don't keep their water above freezing their uh that their water will freeze Mm -hmm. they'll stop eating because they don't have water that'll induce molt then they'll mm-hmm. stop laying and then they'll be done from the point that basically they can't drink water until right. next spring so and, and just to be clear the heat doesn't cause them to lay that i know of it's the light from the right heat so it's yeah. the light source well there is a lot of misinformation a, a lot of people really do think that temperature is what causes egg laying mm-hmm. uh, like cl- climate temperature weather temperature and it's not it is the photo period yeah Yeah. so that's another consideration is keeping a light in your coop and do you want to do that or not and how much because too much light can also be a source of stress so Mm -hmm. i tend to think that um you know just i I would just not let my birds freeze yeah other than that i wouldn't heat them or light them one thing about the light bulbs that's worth mentioning is that um, a lot of the fires that are due to electrical are from high wattage light bulbs. So if you can even, if you choose to do it with electricity and you break up the wattage amongst a few light bulbs, mm-hmm. and keep the cables out of reach from rodents and chickens yeah. and check it frequently, mm-hmm. you're much less of a chance of starting a fire with like a, a few hundred watt bulbs as opposed to one 250 watt bulb. All of those sorts of things should be in a cage. Yes, they should. So that they can't be messed with at all. Yeah. Yeah, those are basically the pros and cons. You know, do you want to let your birds go through their natural process or do you want to protect them and keep the, you know, try to get as much eggs as possible and all of that? And I guess that's really a personal choice. To me, I kind of figure that the birds should be left to do what the birds do and that's that. But everybody has their own attitude on that yeah so the other way to look at this is in terms of um you know before you've built the chicken coop or after Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things that you can do for non-electric heating uh when you're starting from scratch and i i've talked about this before in the show but the big secret in uh passive heating i think is thermal mass Mm. um and that's basically just big amounts of stuff Mm -hmm. you know so if we think about straw bale houses for instance that's that's an example of a building 
of a construction type that has a lot of thermal mass, right? Big giant blocks of straw compared mm -hmm. to two by fours with a little sheet of fiberglass mm -hmm. and in between them and some sheetrock, right? Not yeah. a lot of thermal mass. Yeah. A big pile of dirt is a lot of thermal mass, you know. And does density, uh, like say if you use a fluffy insulation versus like maybe sand or something, does that make a difference with the thermal mass? Well, insulation is uh, air spaces between mass, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, it's it's not the fiberglass uh -huh. itself that stores heat. It's, it's the, the spaces pockets. between the fibers. Okay. So right? thermal mass is different than that. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, obviously the more space you have inside there, mm -hmm. in, in your matter, mm -hmm. the less dense the mass is. But so if the mass retains but, heat and insulation, it traps yeah right okay yeah okay so it's not exactly the same thing but the concepts involve each other you okay. know so yeah you know uh there are, uh, on the uh facebook page uh twin beaks chicken church <laughs> i posted a video from 1955 of this industrial scale operation that uh was conducting their breeding in a cave that was so cool yeah, <laughs> 1955, really all these old cars driving in and That's out of this so cave. Awesome. And so all these underground hens, you know, made me think it was yeah, like a... underground chicken scene. Well, they were... <laughs> it was the breeding group, so they were having quite the party. But <laughs> you think they were playing a music in there? I hope so. <laughs> underground <laughs> chicken rave. <laughs> 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 the, the roosters seem to be getting along. Uh -huh. <laughs> anyway... Um, so, yeah, that got me thinking, you know, can you do chickens underground? And I did find a few people that had done stuff like that, and it looked really nice. You know, sod oh. roof kind of looked like a little chicken coop slash hobbit house, cool. which I thought was pretty That's neat. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you want to do that, there's some principles you have to study in terms of underground construction. And now let's go back to what we were talking about with moisture. Big mm -hmm. deal in underground construction. So you got to learn drainage, ventilation, and you got to have that stuff down good, or you'll end up with a Big, soggy cold, up. clammy cave instead Ugh. of a bright, sandy hole, as I believe it was roughly said in huh. The Hobbit. But, <laughs> um, oh, I wish I could do that line from memory, but it's not quite there. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> so you want a nice, comfy, warm, inviting hobbit home if you're yeah. going to go underground, which I think is such a I cool idea. Cool. So the thing about underground construction is that underground is the ultimate. The, the earth becomes your thermal mass. You know, it's mm -hmm. a giant insulator. And if you mm -hmm. dig down far enough, you get uh, the temperature re reaches, stops fluctuating. Okay. And, you know remains about 50 or 60 so it becomes easy i forget honestly and it does depend on how deep you go of course but and the thing about thermal mass so it, for instance is that it's kind of hard to change the temperature mm -hmm. but the temperature stays the same really stable huh? right so you can heat it up and it 
once you get it hot, it stays hot. Uh-huh. Right? Uh -huh. You just think of like a brick oven. Yeah. So okay. is the sun from the day warm it up and it just kind of retains and generates heat overnight to keep it like... Or they can pump warm stable. air into it okay. and it stays warm. Oh, the chicken's body temperature maybe? Does that contribute to the that ambient too, temperature? That too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... So yeah, this is a good. This would be a good way mm -hmm. to uh, fight cold. I imagine yeah. you'd have some deep snow issues to concern yourselves with, but yeah. I guess that's true anywhere. You build your chickens an igloo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the other so there's thermal mass, mm -hmm. and that can be a lot of different things: underground, berm construction, straw bale construction. I mm -hmm. talked about on an earlier show about how up on the mountain I had. Um, I was keeping in chickens in a room that had a straw bale wall that was yeah. that I put there for thermal mass yeah. and how that all works and so, you can just pile straw bales around the coop from what I've heard and that works right. effectively. Yeah, so. I've I also mentioned before on the show that you know in desperate situations, um, yeah, you basically just pile a bunch of straw bales around mm -hmm. your chicken coop. Yeah, and remember that break thermal mass. Yeah, snow itself is a wonderful insulator. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, don't always remove it, um, thinking that it's going to make the inside of your coop cold because it can actually be an insulator as well. Trap heat yeah. in there. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. You can uh, add a sunroom mm -hmm. to your chicken coop, which is more of a chicken coop already exists category. But I'll throw it in here, and. Uh, A sunroom kind of works like a bay window in your kitchen, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it draws heat in. So if you add a sunroom to your chicken coop, it'll mm -hmm. make the chicken, not only will the sunroom be warmer, but the chicken yeah. coop will be warmer yeah. as well. And if you keep it small and manageable, you can do things strategically yeah. like uh, cover it with shade cloth in the uh -huh. summer so that it doesn't become a heater yeah, when yeah. you don't want it, stuff like that. Yeah, and that, another thing I um, discovered is you could tape bubble wrap to it in the winter so it's still letting the sun through and the heat in, but it's it's insulating that glass a little bit more. <laughs> bubble wrap. Yeah. That's creative. Bubble sure. wrap on there is a great insulator. Yeah, that makes sense. It's still transparent. So, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do like that and of course there's all of the standard construction stuff like add insulation to your coop uh -huh. <laughs> when you build it and lots of bedding <laughs> i guess i wanted to point out that i read a lot of people talking in coop construction about they're like don't worry too much about making it tight fitting because it has to be breathable and moisture and you know, is bad for them so if your windows leak like crazy don't worry about that that's fine and i just sort of think if you can build it so that it doesn't leak air build it that way and, and then it, put in proper ventilation that you can control is it true as well that you want most of the the lower parts of it to be very airtight and and have them roosting in those areas and have the upper top levels where the ventilation is coming through is that true that's the gist Whoa. that i've gotten but i'm not sure if that's really i guess if your goal is to remove heat yeah because mm -hmm. heat rises yeah um well i doubt i doubt that is but for some reason yeah i, I don't know why that would be maybe at the top they're thinking that 
I don't know why. The I ammonia gases rise or something like that. Maybe, yeah. But I thought yeah, you might know why they do that. It's generally because, uh, you know, you put cooling vents and stuff up at the top because yeah. that's where the heat is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But uh, anyway, definitely if you can, I suggest sealing your mm -hmm. coop as much as you can and having proper ventilation that you can control so that you can regulate the temperature in your coop. If you mm -hmm. rely on a bunch of cracks and holes all through the building, well, <laughs> sure, it'll keep vent, it'll ventilate the coop, but it'll also let in, uh, let's say, uh, on a hot summer morning, it'll make the chicken coop warm up faster. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it'll make the chicken coop get colder mm -hmm. when the sun goes down throughout the year maybe when you don't want it to. So I, I prefer to have something that I can, can control yeah, instead of sense. relying on slop. Yeah, and if you're building sorry, it from scratch sorry out there, and but, you know how, you know, yeah, why not? Right. Yeah, do it right. And, and even if you have a chicken coop that already exists, you know, if it's, if it's sealable, you know, to the extent you can, mm -hmm. and, and rely on proper ventilation, I think that that's a much better idea. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. uh, let's see. Yeah. So yeah, just generally windows mm -hmm, are a good mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, ones that you can open and close and seal, mm -hmm. you know, are a good idea. Yeah. That's, that's kind of it for design. Uh, at the moment I might, something else might pop into my head and I'll have to go back to it, but you know, in terms of uh, bringing heat out to your hens, I guess I would say uh, one thing that I like to do, like I was saying, going back to control, was after they all got up in the morning and the sun came up and things started to warm up, I would open up windows so that the coop would heat up and then I would close windows either all the way or enough to still allow for ventilation to in the evening as soon as the temperature started to go down even before they went in there mm -hmm. just to trap all of that heat in there to yeah kind of you know that so sense. Yeah. it allows you to sort of control for it um gosh there's all sorts of passive heating things that you can do like just uh i mean if you wanted to you could warm giant pots of rice Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, not not wet and cooked dry. Yeah, you can put rice in pillows in the microwave and those stay right. warm for a long time. And just the reusable. throw heat heated stuff in there, bricks, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Uh, that's one simple way. But, you know, I really want to emphasize, I think that um, it's like plants. You know, mm -hmm. you're not trying to heat your plants so they're warm and toasty. Mm -hmm. You're trying to heat your plants <laughs> so that they're not frozen. They're not having a stress they're response. They're not freezing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, above freezing, 40 degrees is great, just fine for chicks. Yeah. So you, you don't have to get a huge climb there. And, you know, if you're struggling with, um, really cold temperatures you you might have to do some serious adaptations you know mm -hmm. like putting in skylights that have blockable 
holes so that it lets the heat in and then you close it at night so that it doesn't let the heat out. Mm -hmm. It's passive heating in serious conditions is Very no tough, huh? no picnic. Yeah. Uh, you can do a heat exchange, you know, perhaps if, if you build your coop close to your house, you mm -hmm. could perhaps uh, have a heat exchanger with a fireplace. Mm -hmm. um, there's people that have heat exchange systems with their water where uh, copper tubing runs around. I have a friend on mm, Facebook uh, where cool. the, who has this, where the copper tubing runs around their wood stove uh -huh. and that heats their water. Cover. But the thing is that you can and then use that water to run to places and heat other things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, you could also do a system like oil, but mm -hmm. I would definitely do my research with that because oil heat is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, so there's... The thing is, if you're thinking passive heating for chickens, you, it'd be better if it's by the house. Mm -hmm. But there's all sorts of things that you could make that build heat that you can then pump into your chicken coop. Mm -hmm. But generally, I would see, I would just think about incorporating greenhouse activity yeah. because mm -hmm. greenhouse collection is so effective that, um, and there's so many other good things that you can do for it. I mean, you could probably grow all your chicken feed in the greenhouse, but um, so I would do that. There are these things called hog panels that mm -hmm. you can just buy that are not temperature. Uh, I mean, they're electric, but they're designed to not catch things on Are fire about a pig warmer or that's what we it's like a plastic yeah. flat yeah, yeah. thing those yeah. yeah cool yeah. yeah those are pretty safe so those are some ideas yeah that we can uh, that that you can use yeah you just gotta check stuff frequently if you have electrical things because both chickens and mice like to kind of peck it and chew on things and uh, one thing you might be able to do which is a good idea if you're gonna use electrical things is there are smoke detectors that have um like a remote alarm so you can have a smoke detector in your chicken coop that that um will alert you in your house you know mm -hmm. when something's going on yeah one thing i wanted to bring up was um high low thermometers mm -hmm. and putting one of those in your coop so that A lot of times I used to get really worried about my chickens because I'd go and I'd look at the forecast and I'd go, oh my gosh, it's almost 30, going to be 32. It's going to freeze. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not 32 in the chicken coop. Mm -hmm. It's nowhere close to 32 in the chicken coop. Mm -hmm. It's warmer mm -hmm. because there's a bunch of bodies in there heating it up and you did a decent job of insulating it and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you put one of these in your chicken coop, it'll keep track of how cold it got at the coldest yeah. last night. And uh -huh. then you can go in there and check that and say, oh, look, I don't even have to worry. Oh, that's very interesting. Because uh, it's actually, you know, it was 32 degrees outside last night, but it was 45 degrees in here mm -hmm. or 50 even mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't have a lot of a problem, honestly, with this because even though it got down to 17 degrees where I lived. Um, I, I kept my chickens in a cab over yeah, so they <laughs> that were was fine. insulated yeah. and had windows and wasn't designed to leak air all over the place. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you do have your chickens up on something, mm -hmm. uh, skirt it. 
mm-hmm. put skirting around it just like you would with a trailer oh, okay. or a mobile home uh-huh. to, to keep air from blowing under it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you want to basically learn about all of those passive design things Mm -hmm. and try and incorporate as many of them as possible if cold is a big concern of yours yeah yeah. and then there's the deep bedding thing uh i guess you did a lot of research on that i did and i found out some interesting things um my my conclusion about it is that it's extremely popular and a lot of people say that um, it's great for heating your chicken coop but actually it might have more advantages in the realm of efficient management and generating some really fantastic compost and that it does in fact generate some heat and uh, you know the deep bedding may provide some insulation from the the earth but typically um, when people tested it out the difference between normal areas where there wasn't the deep bedding and areas where there was more chicken manure generating heat was um only about five six maybe ten degrees so it does it does do some something but not a lot and the reason for this is that for compost to really get going and have a lot of activity and get real nice and hot you need a lot of water for those bacteria moisture for the bacteria to get active Mm -hmm. and get going and in a chicken coop you simply cannot have that because the the humidity and the moisture is going to cause frostbite Mm -hmm. condensation issues things like that just unhealthy conditions there's ammonia and bad air so bad things happen yeah so it's not it's not the best because if you do it the right way it's not going to be wet you don't want it wet and it's going to be a slow composting process, which mm-hmm. over time will give you some beautiful compost with very little work from you, and you don't have to clean your coop all the time. But yeah, yeah, it's not not super hot. I wouldn't rely on it so as this a main is sort heating of a, source. And this is a big trend in the the chicken. You might as well world. do it anyway because all of the consequences are positive, but yeah, don't really yeah. count on it to solve any problems. Yeah, or it, it's it's but, contribution to the warmth of the ambient air in there is is not going to be a lot unless you're doing it incorrectly and creating other health right. issues and problems for your chickens. Which so the risks or consequences of doing it in a way that would generate enough heat just aren't really. Although five working. degrees is not, I mean, it, it can help. That's yeah. kind of a big, kind of a significant temperature change you know well it depends on what you're talking about you know if it's it's negative 15 where you are five degrees is uh not going to help you too much i mean it might but you need you're going to need some secondary sources of heat you're going to need some other things going on besides this but i think it's Mm -hmm. incredibly cool just that you're reusing all this waste and it is generating some heat and you're getting Mm -hmm. awesome compost without having to lift a finger besides tossing new bedding on to um, cover up the the chicken manure right. and they do all the tilling and the turning of the soil and they do everything I and then definitely so. keep an eye on the humidity absolutely and if i were doing that see that okay so here's the thing deep bedding yay that means i don't have to go in there and clean all the time mm-hmm. which is pretty cool no you need to go in there all the time Especially if you're doing that, well, you because you want to make sure clean it all the time. that you aren't um, 
Right. Well, okay. So yeah, that's so what I'm worried about is that's going to lead to people to laziness. Not, <laughs> not, you know, just open up the door, let them out. Yeah, not looking around. Collect yes. the eggs from the outside and I never go in there and I don't notice that it's a giant ammonia death trap yeah. until all of my chickens have cataracts. Yeah. Which will happen if you're just letting them, you know, fill the place with awful no noxious fumes. Right, right. So but it is a tactic, you know, and it definitely yeah. beats your chicken freezing to death. And if you're out there on the homestead trying to do it, what you know, and you're heating rice, yeah, yeah, you know, five degrees is five degrees. Yeah, so yeah. take it. So that's a that's an interesting, yeah, especially interesting if it trend. means doing less work. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of benefits for doing it besides heating the coop, and it does heat the coop a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's a mm -hmm. great thing to do. I'm trying to think of what animals you can cohabitate with chickens. I, I did have turkeys in there, and you're not supposed to really mix the two, but big old turkeys add heat. Well, got any uh, got any other tricks in there? No, not especially. Like, uh, you know, if you wanted to talk about some different techniques for passive heat, just briefly. So basically... Black absorbs heat, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's this principle for creating hot air that every year we have an election. No, um, <laughs> that if you, you can just try this at home, kids. And in fact, you don't even have to paint the box black, but you could just take a cardboard box and put saran wrap over the open top of it and stick it out there with the saran wrap pointed mm -hmm. at the sun and then come back in an hour and if there's any kind of sun out there at all the air in the box will be warmer mm -hmm. this is more true if you paint the uh, box black on the inside uh -huh. so it's even more true if you use glass instead of uh plastic mm -hmm. so that's your basic solar collector and you can do this with water or you can do it with air mm -hmm. and it'll make either hot. So now you've got a box full of hot air. Cool. You're ready to run for office. What you do <laughs> is you can put holes in the box and add piping. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to rely on the principle of thermosiphon to move air uh, around so what does hot air do it rises right so um at the top you'll you'll angle your panel at roughly like you would a solar panel because that is what it is in fact mm -hmm. and uh have holes at the top end of the panel so that as the heat as the air heats up it begins to pump it into the uh it forces it out of the top vent mm -hmm. it tries to escape and get that's higher right. that's right and, and that's going room. to suck cold air from wherever mm -hmm. and that can be uh you know the bottom of your chicken coop mm -hmm. and the cold air will fall passively down a pipe into the bottom of the collector and the hot air rises and yeah. that just that that'll that heat up circulates yeah that that draws hot air into the uh, warm, I should say, air mm -hmm. into the coop consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and you can also use that for water mm -hmm. and then attach it to a hot tub and have a solar powered hot tub. That's super cool. Which is a lot of fun. And if you were doing it with the water, it would be more just that the, the water would absorb and retain the heat and be just kind of releasing it over time, over the 
and over the evening. Well, what, is that correct? What you do with the with the hot with the hot tub is the top pipe goes to a hole in the top of the tub that is under the water. Oh, I meant in regards to the chickens, like the chickens. you would use a water instead uh, of air. And well, with tub. water, you just would want uh. You'd, you'd have the water going through the chicken coop in a pipe mm -hmm. and um, or into some sort of heat exchange device just outside the coop. And okay. then the the hot pipe would heat a air duct or something like that. And that would, um, you know, then the air would be hot. So you'd have a heat exchanger. Or you could do it the other way, which would be more risky, which is just to have the water pipe run directly into the coop. Oh, and then huh. um, that pipe is just going to radiate heat. Yeah. But then you've got a pressurized hot water system in your chicken coop, which I kind of on principle think is a bad idea bad, unless huh? you want to give them a hot tub. And then, <laughs> at you know, at that point, hey, why not? Actually, you could just have... Uh, an open waterer for them that's hot water mm -hmm. or yeah. it would just be warm water they would still drink it as long as it's not too hot and that would heat the coop keep and it would keep their freezing. water from freezing so yeah, yeah. yeah. you know i just kind of want to say that there's all of these alternative building technologies out there and just all different kinds of ideas and if you're worried about doing this with your chickens, just go look up how to do it for people. Yeah, exactly. And apply it yeah. to a chicken coop. It's the same things, huh? It's all the same stuff. Yeah. You can it's use... on a smaller scale, so it's good practice, right. really. Yeah, in fact, that's an excellent point. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I wouldn't have. In fact, this is a great way uh, to teach your kids how to do this stuff on mm -hmm. a low cost, you know, get them excited about the idea of... We'll go back to the guy with the heat exchanger that saved his friend thirty thousand freaking dollars a year, right? Yeah, I mean, amazing. How how exciting would it be to? Uh, do you think that guy is about alternative energy now? Yeah, you know? and probably pretty. Same thing with your kids. Look, we kept the chickens warm all winter with this neat thing that we built for a summer project. Isn't mm -hmm. that? One day you might want to do this for your family, children. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're really concerned about this sort of stuff and you don't want to risk or you having want to practice electricity on your house, you know. or practice on your house, yeah, <laughs> try it with your chicken coops. That's true, though. I did a lot of thermal mass experiments stuff like the building of the straw bale wall mm -hmm. and thermal mass ponds and stuff like which is basically just a big tub full of water that you keep in your greenhouse to uh -huh. help regulate the temperature uh -huh. um i tried all of that on my chickens and in my greenhouse and out in the yard yeah. before i wanted to try any of it in my house that's cool yeah yeah very mm -hmm. cool good opportunity i made a building out of stacked uh, glass bottles mm -hmm. um, called the Shrieking Shack. Maybe, <laughs> ah. I, maybe I should talk about the Shrieking Shack because yeah, I, I did use it as a chicken house, so yeah. I guess it qualifies. So initially this building was an outhouse, um, and I didn't want a dark, nasty outhouse. I thought, let, let there be light. So <laughs> I made uh, stacked bottles, mm -hmm. and man... It was hard emptying all those bottles. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it took me weeks. Oh um, no, just kidding. Oh boy. Um, 
stacked bottles with mortar. And if I had it to do over, I would make a timber framed building and stack that so that the uh, mortared uh, bottles were held in place with a uh, timbered frame instead uh -huh. of. I actually did a roof supported glass building. Wow. <laughs> oh boy. I would have definitely used just intuitively, I would have gone for the framing for some reason. Well, I wanted to test things. See how strong it was and stuff? Uh, not, it gets crazier. Oh, okay. So this building, it was bottles with the uh, mouth pointing out. So it kind of looked like a big glass hedgehog. Um, <laughs> and the roof was a soil roof. Cool. Yeah. Neat. And totally not uh, building code. Not up to code, huh? <laughs> yeah. But I figured, you know, it's an outhouse. What's the odds of it collapsing on somebody when they're out here on a rare camping event? Virtually nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> as far as I know, it's still there. Okay, good. <laughs> and I built that thing 10, 15 years ago. Wow. So yeah. it's really endured. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, I kind of do know some things about building, but I, I made the rafters of the roof out of uh, logs from the property. That's so awesome. So yeah, the if you guys are getting ideas to do this building, just I'd, I'd add framing to yeah. the walls just for structural support. But uh, the cool thing about it was that when the wind would get going, all the bottles would like that is so cool. But it's hundreds and hundreds of them, and the wind is hitting them all at different weird angles, so they're making slightly different pitches. Wow, that's and, awesome. Yeah. That is such a cool structure So I called idea. it the Shrieking Shack. But the <laughs> neat thing about it, it had a soil cement floor, so you could just throw litter on it and then scrape it all out, and um, it didn't really hurt the floor if it got chicken poop on it. Mm -hmm. And if it did, it was just dirt anyway. And it very well insulated roof because mm -hmm. it had like a few inches of soil on the top of it. And um, the walls were actually very well insulated too, which mm -hmm. kind of surprised me. Mm -hmm. um, it did get a bit stuffy in the summers, mm -hmm. but then so did everything, I guess. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think there's pictures on our website, yeah, TwinBeaksChickenPodcast.com, that uh, <laughs> you can see. The, the bottle wall behind my laying the hen with all the chicks. The little black the naked silky. Neck. Yeah. yeah, the <laughs> naked neck frizzle. Yeah. Funniest looking birds ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that worked pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I guess if I really wanted to worry about that being insulative, I could have capped all those bottles and then I'd have oh. a giant air pocket wow. of glass now, that would heat. there's an interesting idea. Yeah. You have to make sure they're recapable. There's different kinds that are and aren't. Make sure they're not twist off. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's stick corks in them, something. You could stick corks in them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Other people do similar things, but with plastic bottles and fill them up with uh, rammed full of trash. Ah. And then I've actually made a few bricks this way. Mm -hmm. And man, I parked, I, I have a 1997 F350 diesel truck with a utility bed, folks. That is a heavy truck mm -hmm. it's classified as a commercial vehicle i have to pay ridiculous registration fees on it because of that anyway i have made up this brick um i took a plastic juice iced tea bottle thing a stick and i just kept ramming my household trash into it <laughs> uh until it, no more would fit i parked my truck on that brick wow didn't flatten it huh nope wow that's kind of incredible it didn't didn't it, rupture it, it. it dented it 
Wow. It, it didn't crush it though. Dang. I would think it would just pop and then compress it, all that stuff. It must be very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, that's a heck of a building material. Yeah. And the cool thing was I I fit three months worth of household trash into four juice bottles. <laughs> now that's amazing in itself, actually. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you must have been really, really um not producing a lot of trash. Well, right? no, I recycled everything yeah, up that I could awesome. up there and I was, yeah. Yeah. That's very but, cool. But still, and, and the point is, you know, so maybe in a 50 years, I'd have enough of those to build a wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, so you can make all sorts of um, brick like that out of different kind of trash things. And there's all mm -hmm. kinds of videos and stuff out there in the yeah. world to try alternative building that mm -hmm. is like... You can make bricks out of mud. All kinds of insulation, bricks mm -hmm. out of mud. And mm -hmm. all of those are better protection than stick frame. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe an overarching point I want to make about uh, protecting from severe cold is get away from stick frame, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially uninsulated stick frame. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time keeping your birds from dying if it's 20 degrees below outside and they live in a plywood box. Mm -hmm. There really isn't much getting around that. And I don't think that the solution is to pour a bunch of electricity and, you know, fire danger into the plywood box. Mm -hmm. We might just have to give up on the plywood box. That's a good point. Come yeah. up with something realistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because chickens aren't meant to live in a plywood box outside in 20 degrees below. Yeah, I don't not, see a lot of ch not insulated much chickens. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you neither, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So... I don't know, but hopefully we've come up with giving you a few ideas on how to mitigate or severe cold issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple listeners ask to hear more about that subject. So yeah, uh, I thought maybe we'd do a recap on cold and winter is coming. I yeah. It might be already here for some of you. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I've seen... Uh, some some pictures of people deep in the snow so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's already here for some of us and we hope you guys are staying nice and warm yes i hope you're cozy out there and we hope that our podcast here has warmed your hackles <laughs> warmed your waddles warmed your waddles that's what i meant to say <laughs> okay folks well i guess yeah we probably have gone on quite long enough uh we did kind of get carried away talking about our flock, but they're really they're sitting here just like a foot and a half away from us while we do the show. We can't help on the it. other side of the we the know glass you understand being so cute. Yes, <laughs> my gosh, if they're still listening to us by now, they must understand, don't you think? Probably. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the fold of our flock. And anyway, so yes, thanks again for listening. Um, I would encourage you to go listen to a previous episode where I flog you mercilessly with the social media and apply it to yourself so I can just skip that here <laughs> and tune in next week yes we'll see you next thanks week thanks so much for listening thank guys. you bye bye bye